Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Hope. I'm Pastor Tom. It's good to have you with us as we worship together. Uh, If you are visiting with us or if you have any prayer requests, we encourage you to communicate with us on this little piece of paper that's in your bulletin. Uh, Just fill it out, drop it in the bucket on your way out, and we will take it from there. Um, Let's see. If you are desiring uh, prayer while you are here today with a real human being, uh, later in the service, back in the back corner by the fire extinguisher, I think that's appropriate. Um, uh, one of our, a member of our two of our prayer team will be back there to pray with you during the time of offering later in the service. Uh, so please avail yourself of, of, of that opportunity if you want some to, someone to pray with you and for you uh, about anything going on in your life right now. Let's see, you can always find us online through our website. You can find each other by clicking through the website to our online portal, and you can uh, update your information, find other people, etc., etc. So I encourage you to do that. Um, Let's see, our membership class continues today after church. That will be in the library. Um, Encourage you, if you are interested in joining Hope, to be part of that. Um, then several things coming up uh, soon on the near horizon for some small group opportunities, some Bible study opportunities. Um, A couple of those involve a a ministry called Reboot, and there are two different... um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Two different opportunities for Reboot. One is Reboot for combat veterans. This is what Reboot was developed for, and it is for combat veterans and their spouses. Uh, they go, it's about a 12 to 13 week course, and they go through this together with other veterans. It's led by veterans and their spouses, and so these are all people who understand the trauma of military service, and uh, then there's another reboot that is just for general trauma, just, that's called life, I think. Um, Like, you know, if you grew up with the older sister that I have, you have trauma, right? I'm sure she had trauma, too. Love you, Sherry. Um, But uh, that trauma reboot, I know it sounds extreme, but it's just, it's like reboot, for civilians, for regular people. And Carl and Cheryl went through Trauma Reboot this past semester, yes, and Carl's just going to talk a little bit about what that was like. And Yeah, hi. Um, and honestly, when the class started, I had uh, I didn't have a lot of hope. I didn't have it. I didn't even think I had a trauma in my life. But it, um, it gave me the opportunity to really look at some dark times in my life, and not that I, you know, that kept coming back waking me up or just bringing things to light that I wanted to keep hidden. But it's, it gave me an opportunity to really take a good look at those, address them, and it, God put a lot of light on that darkness. And it's, it really helped me a lot. And that's what the class is about. Like you said, it's 12 weeks. Um, Jack and Yolanda do a wonderful job on um, just carrying you through that. It's a very... You know how they say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? Well, what ha- what's talked about in Reboot stays in Reboot. And so it's a very secure location where you can really open your heart 
and describe what's going on in your life. So it's, it's an amazing opportunity. So if you have, a, if you have a, um, a trauma in your life, and I think we all do at some point, if you have one and you want to really get in and, and see what you could learn about that trauma and have it be an easier part of your life, then I would recommend taking this reboot class. Was yours your older sister? All of my sisters. Oh, I, I'll pray for you. Love you, Sherry. And uh, I just have to say this real quick. Mom, Sherry's here today, and I, I love her. I'm not. Your daughter is wonderful. You did a great job. Um, yes. All right. Um, we also have a small group starting Thursday night here at the building uh, called Boundaries. And this is a, um, a study that was put together by uh, two Christian uh, psychologists, I believe, Cloud and Townsend are their last names. And uh, it's just a really good way to sort of get move toward what is healthy in terms of being able to say no to things in your life and say yes to the things that God wants you to say yes to. Um, but that's coming up. This starts this Thursday. If you're interested, that will be here. And if you have any child care needs for any of these classes, please just let us know, and we will do our best to accommodate that, whether that's in reboot or boundaries or anything else that we're doing. We also have coming up uh, a the restart of our Tuesday night Zoom Bible study. You should talk into a mic because... The person most interested in what you're about to say is actually my mother, who I think is zooming in right now. All right. Now. So, um, so a couple of the elders, Joe, me, and then uh, John Dunn, are going to start a, uh, a Bible study class uh, that's looking at key, um, key foundational scriptures uh, uh, on various topics throughout the, the Bible uh, we'll give you more details as we get closer. We're envisioning this starting on Tuesday nights, Zoom. It'll be a Zoom class, so you don't have to. It'll be easy, hopefully, to make it convenient for people. Starting February 21st, so it's a few weeks away. Um, there will be an uh, opportunity to learn uh, and, and probably memorize some of these scriptures as well. But the focus is really just digging into where, what are some of the key foundational scriptures that form the basis for what we believe and having an opportunity Beautiful. to discuss those. So, uh, so look, f- look for more details as we get closer. Again, that's a few weeks away, February 21st, the Zoom uh, Bible study. All right. And then what really matters is in February, the chili cook-off is coming up. And your epic defeat again? And what? Your epic defeat again? Epic defeat. No, I'm going to win again. Uh, so far, I'm the only one on the apron twice. Just saying. <laughs> Why do you think I give candy to the kids? I need their votes. Oh, oh, throwing down the gauntlet. Shots fired. Bring it on. Um, but that is, is that in here? February 19th, and we should have the Sign Up Genius going out this week uh, with all the slots to sign up for, and we do need your help, Jackie, so stick around, check in, we're going to, 
All right, what did I forget? Why don't we have all of the important people come down to the front at this time? If you are in fifth grade or younger, you are invited down for our children's chat this morning. Good morning, good morning. How are y'all doing? All right, I'm glad to hear that. Um, let's see. Where, where does water come from? Mila? From what? From holes? Oh, from the hose. Okay. All right. That, yes, it does. Where does the hose get the water from? The ground. And if the water runs down the ground, where does it end up? In the ocean. But where did it come from? It came from the ground? Okay, where did the ground come from? Earth? That's a good answer. Where did the earth come from? From the planets? And where did the planets come from? Outer space. Good. Good. And where did outer space come from? Well, okay, so E equals MC squared. We're going to start there. Can you say that? E? Say E. Equals MC squared. There, you got it. All right. Um, so, outer space, you know who created, who made outer space? Yes, you do. God did. Yes. Very good. Listen to this. Yes, here, hold on. What color star do you want? Huh? Gold, definitely gold. All right, I've got some gold left. All right, hold out your hand. There you go. Good. Oh, yep, there it is. Very good. So God made outer space, all the stars, all the planets. He made earth. He made the ground. He made the water that we drink. He made it all. And he made you. He made everything, right? He made you. You know why he made you? Because he loves you. That's pretty awesome. Listen, listen to this. This is in the Bible. This is the very first words in the Bible. Are you ready? All right, here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God created everything, right? The heavens, the stars, the universe, the outer space and the earth, the water, the ground, everything. He created it all. And he created everything because he loves you. And he wanted to bring you into this world so that he could show you how much he loves you. So, where did the water come from? God. And why did God make the earth, the water, the stars, and you? Why did he do it? Because he loves us. I think you get it. Let's say a prayer. Dear God, thank you for your love. Thank you that you are the God who made everything to show us how much you love us. We 
thank you for the beauty of your creation, for all the blessings that you give us to enjoy. And we pray that these children, as they study more of your word and hope for kids today, would grow in their understanding of how much you love them. We pray your blessing over them and their teachers in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great time and hope for kids. Have fun. I was a little worried that was going to take longer. (laughs) Usually the first answer is Jesus and we're done. But we got there. Will you uh, join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, we invite you into uh, this time that you have given us to open your word, to reflect on uh, what you would say to us uh, today. We pray that as we do this, that you would bring to mind those things which we need to leave at the foot of your cross. We give you our sins and disappointments, and we just thank you for the forgiveness and grace that are ours in Jesus Christ. Lord, lift our heads from the troubles of this world this morning and help us to focus on who you are and what that means for us in our everyday lives. We lift before you those whom we know and love who are sick or facing uncertain diagnoses, and we pray your healing mercies upon them. We lift to you our nation and its leaders at every level of government, elected and appointed. And we pray for wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform. We pray that you would watch over and protect them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way, and we ask that you would bring them home safely. Lord, we lift up those who've returned home from their service to our country, changed as a result of the sacrifices they've made. And we pray your healing over them, mind, body, and soul. And Lord, we ask that you would use us to minister that, that healing and grace to them uh, each and every day. And we lift up uh, Hope Church and all the churches that we are connected to through our denomination and through our missions giving Uh, And we just pray your blessing over those works of your spirit in various parts of this world. Uh, We pray this morning as your word goes forth through the mouths of your people that it would not return to you empty. We lift up the missionaries we support in Guatemala, in Laredo, Texas, in Cuba, in Beirut, Lebanon, and elsewhere in the Middle East. And we just pray your blessing over those works. We lift up the church plants in Texas that are taking place uh, through our denomination right now, in New Braunfels, in Austin, and in Dallas, and we just pray your blessing over those young works as well. Be with us now as we open your word, open our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we are starting a new series of messages this morning, and it is called Crystallized, and what it is is we're, t- we're sort of taking some of the key thematic words from the Old Testament and just looking at each of those words uh, throughout the course of this series. This is a relatively short uh, sermon series. It'll be about five parts, and then we will lead into uh, a series um, that will celebrate 
that will look at, examine, and celebrate the various festivals that are in the Old Testament Jewish calendar. And we will begin that on the Sunday that is the festival of the Feast of Purim, which is the celebration of the book of Esther, the way that God used Esther to save his people. And we will conclude that series on uh, Palm Sunday with a follow-up dinner on Thursday night, uh, a, a Jewish Passover Seder. There will be lamb and all the requisite components of a Passover meal, and we will do that here at Hope. Um, full meal, everything, you'll be able to sign up to be there, to help out, whatever. But we're, we're just kind of, we're going Old Testament here for, uh, for a few months. And uh, so I thought it would be good as we lead into that series of the Jewish festivals to just sort of look at the Old Testament thematically and really focus in on some of the key thematic ideas that are at the heart of the Old Testament. Here is my... Um, my sort of summary operating belief that this this book, while it has many authors and many parts, is a unified whole. It is it tells one story that points to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And so the Old Testament as such is entirely aimed at understanding the coming Messiah the hope of the world. And so the, the story begins in the book of Genesis. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning. And we're going to explore three Old Testament uh, themes today. The first is creation. Then we're going to look at the crisis of sin as it, as it occurs in Genesis chapter 3, or really the consequence of that sin. And then we're going to look at this Old Testament idea of covenant. So those are the three themes we're going to take up this morning. We're going to start uh, at the, in the very beginning, because God was a baseball player, because he starts with in the big inning. Um, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And then later in Genesis chapter 1, I'm just going to read one verse that touches on the creation of men and women. And it says this in verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So from just these few verses, I want to just sort of lead into uh, this call that chapter 1 of the book of Genesis issues to us to worship our creator, to stand in awe before the author, designer, and creator of this universe and of each of our hearts and souls. This is really, if if you open chapter 1 of the book of Genesis and you read it without being drawn into a sense of awe, you're, you're missing something. I think that's really the point of this opening chapter is just to center us before the God who created everything. 
That's where we begin. We are to honor him as first cause. That is to say that all of creation has a starting point. The creator has no beginning and no end. And I realize this is somewhat mind-blowing to to think of something that exists without beginning. And I'll try to to butcher some physics here for you. Uh, But when Albert Einstein uh, developed his theory of relativity with the equation E equals mc squared, he basically said everything that has mass or energy and takes up space and exists in time has a beginning point. And he would even say, like, we don't know what existed before that beginning point. We can only look at things that have mass, take up space, exist in time, or have energy. And all of that, so light, matter, energy are all connected in that equation, and they all have a starting point. God is that being that has no starting point. He created everything that has a starting point. And so, in one way, the, the primacy of, of God's being is very logical. If everything that has mass, energy, and takes up space, etc., has a starting point, there must be something that existed prior to that that has no starting point. That we call God. Uh, creation can, um, you know, some people call it the Big Bang. I don't really care what you call it, right? The Bible says God spoke everything into existence. And so that's where we begin, is in this call to worship the God who started it all. He is the first cause. He is that which has no beginning. He created everything from nothing. That is actually stated in this passage and is a very important theological idea that governed the the Jewish mindset, the Jewish worldview, was simply that God created everything, and he did it without any, with any raw material. He just said, let it be. So he created everything from nothing, and his word is that which brings forth light and life, meaning everything. Creation begins with the word of God. This is absolutely fundamental to our understanding of the Bible, that the Bible is somehow the continuation of the word of God into the world, that God spoke everything into existence, and then he, he spoke his word into existence through various multitude of authors, Um, but we have received from him the word that gives light and life and direction to who we are and what it means to be human. And so this is where we begin our worship of our creator, honoring him as first cause, and then stepping into the calling, part of our worship is reflecting to others who God is. We reveal God's heart 
to others, to people around us. That's part of what it means to worship God. He started it all, and he created us as men and women to reflect who he is in the world. We are created in his image, the Bible says, to show others what God looks like, what God acts like. So here's what we take away from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that every human has equal God-given worth. Every human being is equal in worth in the eyes of God. Then we see that each human reflects God's nature differently. So I I don't know if you've ever tried to be married or not. I've been trying for about 30 years. Um, And uh, I'll just say, I'll say it this way. We is different, right? Um, The whole two becoming one, this is no small thing. It's not a cakewalk. This is real. And one of the reasons that God created us this way is you think about it, you have an infinite being who transcends time, space, matter, and energy. And then he creates beings that exist in time, space, matter, and energy. And those beings are each called to reflect a different facet of who God is. We reflect that as men, as women, as individuals, as part of a culture, a society, a global community even, all of those reflections make up one picture of who God is. It's not a complete picture. Even when we combine all of humanity into one reflection of the nature of God, it's still not complete. He's infinitely greater than all of us as our creator, but each of us is created to reflect some aspect of who he is to the people around us. This is part of what it means to worship. One aspect, we bow before him because he started it all. The other aspect is we reflect him to the world around us. We show people what God looks like, what he feels like, what he sounds like in the ways we react to others in our lives. Okay, so that is Genesis chapter 1, and everything that exists in Genesis chapter 1 exists in harmony, in completion, in wholeness, and then we get to Genesis chapter 3, where everything breaks down. And you know the story. God says to Adam, hey dude, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, What does he do? He eats of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that causes a separation between mankind and their creator. And we'll we'll get to that, but I want to read sort of in the wake of that decision that Adam and Eve took to eat of the tree that they were instructed not to eat of. So they break God's word, they break his Uh, command, if you will, his law, his only law, don't eat from that tree. And they're like, well, it looks pretty good. What could go wrong? And off they go. And then God comes in and he says to the man, what have you done? And 
this is great. I love this part. Adam goes, this woman that you gave me, <laughs> she, she told me to eat, right? He just totally blames everyone and takes no responsibility upon himself. So God turns to the woman and says, what's up? She says, well, the serpent deceived me. She was at least smart enough not to blame God. Uh, but she said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And she actually takes responsibility for her action, which is kind of fascinating. Um, and, uh, and then God turns to the serpent and curses the serpent. He does not curse the man and the woman. He curses the ground of the, the earth as a result of their sin, but he does not curse them. He curses the serpent and the earth. And he says, there are consequences to your sin, to your breaking my command. And then he leads them to the edge of the garden. And we're going to pick up the story here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. I'm just going to read uh, through verse 24, actually. So Genesis 3, 21 and following. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This is in the wake of their sin. Then verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So, Here's what God is doing. He's saying, your sin has created a separation between us. And what I don't want is for you to now eat of the tree of eternal life and live eternally in this state of separation from me. And so he sends Adam and Eve out of the garden and says, you can't come back here now. I will create a way. I will create a pathway by which you may return to my presence and to my Eden, but it's going to require the death of another. And you even see this reflected in God's action. He takes animals and kills them and takes the skins and covers Adam and Eve, as if to say, your sin will require the death of another, but you will be covered by that death in your relationship with me. It's a symbol It's a sign. And so we step into this crisis in Genesis chapter 3 that is created by sin. And what we are to take away from this passage is simply this, that here we can claim the promise of God's covenant, of God's covenant love for us. He makes a way by which Adam and Eve don't perish immediately, they are given another way by which they can be restored in their relationship with God. Everything has changed, but the end goal is the same, to return to that state where there is harmony and wholeness and peace between our hearts and souls and our Creator. We, as God's children, find redemption through the covenant. This this idea of covenant is the single defining concept of the Old Testament. 
Everything after Genesis chapter 3 is a demonstration of God's faithfulness to his covenant people, the people that he has contracted to redeem. And so the whole thing from every point from chapter 3 forward is about the fulfillment of that covenant. So I just want to say a few things about, um, I just jumped like to point three, sorry. It's all related, don't worry. I'm going back to point two, which says, acknowledge the crisis created by sin. We are separated from God in our state of sin and rebellion from him, our disobedience. And we have to remember, God is life. This is what is born out in these words. He is the author of life, and our rejection of God brings death. Adam and Eve's rejection of God results in their separation from him and being ushered out of the garden and the death of those animals by whose skins they are covered. All right. God wants us, while we are separated from him, God wants us to come back to him. This only happens by the death of another and from and out of the pain of this broken world. I do not need to tell you how painful this world is. You each have your own truths, your own representations of that pain in your hearts. I don't need to elaborate. This is what it means to be human in a broken world. There is, there is sin, there is sickness, there is death, there is pain, there is tragedy. It's all here. And God says, in the midst of it all, I will be with you. And I will create a way for you to come back to me. I'm not going to lift you out of the pain. I'm going to come down and enter into the pain of humanity and persevere through it with you to demonstrate to you what love looks like. And so... Um, I'm sorry for the, my jumping around. I just got lost in my notes there for a minute. Now we're going to go to Genesis 17, verses 7 through 10. And you probably know this story also. This is God and a man who begins his journey with God under the name Abram and who then later is renamed here Abraham. And uh, we're going to uh, just look at this This is a reflection of this idea that the entire Bible, the entire Old Testament, is the fleshing out of God's covenant faithfulness to his people. God's faithfulness toward his people through the concept of a covenant, which just means a bond, a promise that God makes to his people. So we're going to start Genesis 17, verses 7 through 10, where it says, God is speaking to Abraham, and he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me 
and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And then in just the next couple verses, God clarifies that 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 is just the sign of the covenant. And you can read it for yourself. Just find find it in your Bible. Keep reading. I want to just read one verse out of one of the minor prophets, the book of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 7. And this is going to be important just theologically in a moment. But Hosea says, Like Adam, they, speaking of God's people, us, transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. That's God speaking. And, and the reason that's in this is just to demonstrate that Adam's relationship with God, Adam and Eve's relationship with God, was based on a covenant. Okay? That's all I'm doing there. Then, just two verses out of the end of the Gospel of Matthew. This is Jesus at the Lord's Supper. And I just want you to hear these words. Again, all of the Old Testament, many authors, many pieces. It's a unified whole. And it's all pointing to this moment. Jesus, and he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So, step one, to claim this covenant promise for ourselves. To acknowledge that God is the creator of all things, that we are broken and in a crisis of sin, separated from him, and to claim the promise of his covenant love for our own redemption. That's where this whole thing is going. And so, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, we, as God's children, find redemption from our sin through the covenant, through this relationship, this commitment, this promise that God made to us, to redeem us, to restore us to Eden ultimately. And this redemption is the demonstration that God's covenant love restores relationship between us and our creator, the relationship that was broken by our sin, and it restores relationship between ourselves and one another. That because I'm as broken as you are, and I'm as humbled as you are at the foot of the cross, that the death of another was required to bring me into right relationship with God. Because we have that in common. None of us are any better than anyone else, and we all have what's called unity in the body of Christ. We are equal. We are restored in our ability to relate to one another in healthy ways because of what Christ did for us, because of God's covenant love. Covenant covenant love restores relationship, and covenant love involves blood. When God made his covenant with Abraham, and uh, I, I, I realized, like, ancient people were far more comfortable with basic human anatomy than we are, right? We don't like to talk about these things. But why would God make circumcision the sign of his covenant? 
All right, so I'm going to make you all really uncomfortable for just a second. Right? But it's just human anatomy. Here's this little boy who's eight days old. And the rabbi or the moil is going to come and perform the circumcision. Immediately what happens, there's blood. And there is a rolling back, in literal terms, of the most intimate part of that male's body. This is the sign that God wants what's inside. That it will require blood for us to be redeemed. This is God speaking in terms that ancient people would have been much more quick to understand than we are. Um, But nonetheless, there's this really, really intimate sign that is given to God's covenant promise. And there it is. At the place of procreation for all of God's children, this sign is there. It's central to who they are. It's part of their culture. It's part of their being. It's, part, it's the sign. It's right where God places it. It's the most important, I don't know, intersection of humanity, if you will. All right, you done being uncomfortable? We'll move on. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> harumph. I didn't get a harumph out of you. All right. There is this sign that involves blood. It all points to that cup that Jesus would hold up at the Last Supper, which was a Passover Seder, which we're going to hold in April. Um, and it was, the, it was the cup on the table. There were three cups that were served during the meal. The second cup is the one he picks up. Its name in the Jewish Seder tradition, the name of that second cup is the cup of redemption. Jesus lifts up the cup of redemption and says, this is the cup of my covenant blood. Drink it. Take it in. We find our redemption through the fulfillment of the covenant in Christ. We find forgiveness through Christ. We acknowledge, as Hosea said, that since Adam, every human being has broken the covenant. We have not done our part. The good news is, when God made his covenant, for example, with Abraham, do you remember this story? I think it's in Genesis 15, and he puts Abraham to sleep. Abraham had sacrificed some animals. There was blood, there was death. There was the death of another to establish the covenant. The animals are cut in half and laid open, and God appears as a flame and passes between the halves of the animals. What is Abraham doing? Nothing. He's doing nothing. He is not the one upon whom the responsibility of the fulfilling the covenant has rested, has come to rest. That is reserved for Jesus. He is the one who will come in God's redemptive plan to bring forgiveness to our souls, to fulfill this eternal plan. We are those who have transgressed. The only thing that you and I contribute to our salvation is our sin. 
that's it. We don't contribute good works. We don't contribute faith. We don't contribute anything. All we bring to the table is brokenness. And God says, I'm the one who passed through those halves of the animals. I'm the one who takes responsibility for your sin upon myself. It is by my blood that you are forgiven. And so we who have transgressed, we are those who have transgressed. He, the Messiah, is the one who has fulfilled the covenant. And he gave us a new sign, right? He gave us two signs in the New Testament, the sign of baptism and the sign of the Lord's Supper. Those are the two um, signs of the covenant that now water has replaced blood to demonstrate that by his blood, by his fulfillment of that covenant, by his death on the cross, we are washed clean. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. And he gives us the Lord's Supper so that we are reminded that it is by his blood that we are healed. By his stripes we are healed. By his blood we are redeemed. And so there are those three seminal themes of the Old Testament right there in the book of Genesis and also seen in fulfillment in Christ So when Jesus took that cup, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was saying. He understood the covenant basis of God's relationship with his people. And he grabbed that cup and he said, I've got this. This will be my blood spilled for you. This will be my work of suffering on the cross for your redemption This I will do because I love you. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we are humbled by your love that did not stop at the point of suffering for our sins, but was willing to go through to the point of death to bring atonement and forgiveness. We marvel at the extent of your love, that you would go to such lengths to redeem us, those who are undeserving. And we thank you for a love so profound that not even death could stop you. You rose from the grave. You ascended to the right hand of God the Father. You intercede for us there. You are the eternal first cause of this universe. And you came to become one of us, to suffer as we suffer, to die the death that we deserved, and to rise again that we might have hope eternal. We thank you for who you are, for how you work, for your undying love. It is in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.